Stella made a beat, so it's go time. What's up, guys, and welcome to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. The Core 4 is a podcast under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. We find them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is also a blog under SB Nation. You can find them on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. So we got a special show for y'all today. As I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have Nathan Chester joining me in the second half of the show. But first, let us introduce our guest. He works for The Athletic covering Gonzaga men's hoops. He also covers the Philadelphia 76ers for SBNH. And then he is also a writer for The Step Back from Fansided. Welcome aboard, Jackson Frank. What's up, Jackson? Not much. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me on. Doing pretty good. Anytime, Jackson. So, uh, Jackson, I do think you're a very smart basketball mind. I've seen you call Pascal Siakam and Derek White before anyone. So I got to give you props for that. But the big reason why I'm, I, I want to talk to you is because you were very high on Brandon Clark before anyone. And you did get to cover him at Gonzaga. So what what is it that – just call your eye about Brandon Clark. Yeah, you know, I mean, I just – he was – I mean, he so he only played one year at Gonzaga, obviously, but I, he was someone who I'd followed a little bit at San Jose State and um, had a kind of a brief understanding of his game. And I was – I just knew that playing for a better team and getting a whole year of redshirt was going to do wonders for him. And uh, it didn't take very many games for us. He was uh, just an insane athlete in terms of uh, vertical jumping, the quick jumping – um, and just a really cerebral player. It felt like he made every rotation necessary. Uh, he had a nice face-up game as well as a score, which I thought was kind of under under discussed throughout the year, both just in terms of his skill and his ability to, to play at the NBA level. Um, just a combination of skill, athleticism, and IQ that really stood out. And it was it was pretty clear from an early early point last year that he was Gonzaga's best player, and that that continued for the entirety of the of the season. Mm-hmm. And how high was he on your draft board? What was he second? Uh, he ended third. I think. I think for the most part, once I officially had a board, he was kind of anywhere between second and fifth. He ended third, um, right in that second tier of guys. I don't know. I don't recall exactly how how deep my second tier went. Um, but yeah, just I mean, I just I bought into his ability to be a really impactful defender. I, I think eventually he would be able to shoot. Um, obviously, we haven't seen it in the preseason yet. We saw a little bit of that in in summer league a few months ago, but uh, yeah, and, and the third, and and I I feel fine about that. I'm not not worried about the age thing. It's I would be surprised if a lot of the players drafted ahead of him ever become as good as a basketball as he is now. And I think sometimes upside is uh, is a little over over discussed. And that's not even to mention that we we haven't we have some shooting upside with Clark that hasn't really been tapped into yet. So. Um, 
he plays four fewer years than uh, some 19 year old, but is much better than, than that guy for, for, for four or five years. And it's not a huge, huge deal at all. And the team that drafted him will certainly take that from a value perspective. Absolutely. And I know one thing I saw a lot with Clark's game, especially Gonzaga, is he had that mold of a small ball five, you know, similar to Draymond Green or a Pascal Siakam and stuff like that. But he's 6'8 with a 6'8 wingspan, and he weighs about between 215 and 220. Is there any concern for you about him playing a small ball five role in the NBA? I, I would say it's, it's a role you can play him in at times. Um, the length was never really something that worried me. I think it was one of those things that when it came out at the combine, people kind of freaked out. But if you watched him at Gonzaga throughout the year, like he didn't average three plus blocks per game because he had a seven, five wingspan. It was because he's an insanely quick leaper and has a really, really good vertical. Um, so I would say, yeah, at times you can certainly play him there. And, uh, I think it's certainly warranted to have a little bit of concern about the strength and length deficit. Um, but at the same time, he like, he already looks bigger by, uh, about 10 to probably eight to 10 pounds than he did even at Gonzaga. I think he weighed in at like 207 or 208 at the combine. And then, uh, I was at summer league and I just watching him. I could tell he was a little bit bigger. Um, so I'm not really concerned there, but at the same time, I think it's, if he can only play small, small ball five for 20% of the time, rather than 30%, it's not a huge issue because he's going to be an awesome awesome power forward um, at that spot moving forward. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really tantalizing for both Memphis Grizzlies Twitter as well as NBA Twitter is that four and five combination between Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. And how do you think they bounce off each other, both offensively and defensively? Yeah, I think they work really well together. I, I wrote a piece, I think shortly after the draft, kind of talking about how, uh, John Morant, Brandon Clark, and Jaron Jackson Jr. all fit together. And even just touching back on the small ball five idea, you don't have to play them there very, very much. I mean, they have Valanciunas under contract for the next three years, I believe. Jaron's obviously going to be there for a while. So you can give Clark time to put on some more weight, kind of uh, just be be ready for that center spot. But anyways, back to their fit. I think obviously defense defensively, it's a great fit. Um, both guys are pretty mobile, especially for their position. Jaron more so than uh, Clark, I mean, that's the, Jaron's versatility on defense is what makes him such an insane prospect and player. Um, but, I mean, both are very good rim protectors. Uh, you know, obviously, Jaron still has to clean up that foul issue a little bit, but I don't think that's something that's going to, you know, hinder him two years from now when he's kind of re- he's kind of uh, working into his prime. So defensively, you, both, you can play both of them. Uh, on the perimeter, you can switch a lot of positions with them, not have any worries there. Uh, you know that one of them can kind of guard a pick and roll and the other one can rotate over to uh, be the help defender. Um, offensively, I think that's a little bit more, a uh, little more strenuous of a fit. Obviously you want, you want Jaron to get his own kind of touches inside the paint, um, which means Clark will be away from the ball and Clark's not someone who commands respect off the ball. He has a shooter. Um, so I think until Clark proves to teams that he's someone worth closing out on, It'll be a little bit uh, tricky there, but at the same time, I think they, I think they ran a play against the Hornets. Um, I think they played the Hornets, right? Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. last week there, where they ran like kind of a, a double screen play with Morant as the ball handler, and 
Clark rolled the rim and Jaron popped out for three. And that's, that's a way you can really tap into their offensive versatility um, because Clark is such a good pick and roll player. And Jaron is someone who's shown the ability to hit threes um, above the break. You know, someone who can handle the ball a little bit. Um, and then you have Jai, who's just, Jai was just an insane playmaker and uh, can get to the rim at, at will pretty much for himself too. So uh, I think in that sense, you know, working within the flow of kind of some offensive sets, they work with, they will complement each other well. But at the same time, when you kind of want Jaron to work on his own offensive game and go to scoring, it might be a little precarious, uh, at least in the early stages. But I, but I really do believe Clark is going to be someone who teams up to account for as a shooter um, down the road. Maybe not this year or next year, but uh, at some point in the near future, he will be that guy who you you deem a shooter and you have to respect to his shooting ability. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I'm really looking forward to see is Clark's development as a shooter, because I do think he has the body type and the game to even move down to the three, especially if he gets that three point shot down because already in just three preseason games, John Morant is generating a lot of gravity when he drives in and it's, gotten a lot of open looks for the grizzly shooters granted they don't have many knockdown shooters right now i mean their only three-point threats are grayson allen dylan brooks marco gudrich and jay crowder so there there can be improvement in the shooting area but if brandon clark can you know knock down set shots where there's not a defender within two or three feet of them you think you can move down to the three, right? Because, I mean, a front court of Clark, Jackson, and Valanciunas seems pretty nice on paper. Yeah, I mean, that's not a spot I want him playing a ton. Um, I, I do think, yeah, in, in spurts you can play him there um, because he, he is a pretty good lateral mover. I wouldn't say he's he's great or anything. He, he has a little bit of – he's just not he's not the, quite as fluid as a guy like Jaron or a big big man like him. Um, so yeah, in spurts, I, I think one of the, the things you you would want to do, um, and obviously he's not quite the explosive athlete of, of Zion, but they've run a lot of plays where, uh, or the Pelicans have in preseason where, you know, they'll have Zion spotting up in the corner and they'll run a pick and roll and Zion and, and Zion's defender will kind of help off onto the roll man and, and Zion will dive in kind of trailing it and you'll get a running start and like, Obviously, Clark isn't quite the athlete of Zion, but Clark is a fantastic athlete, a fantastic leaper and finisher. And so if you can kind of get him on the move and, and making sure that he's kind of in advantageous positions, then sure, yeah, I think the three works. And um, at least offensively, you know, defensively, it's it's not not ideal, like I say, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's a position he can never play. I mean, the four is going to be his primary position. He probably plays 60 to 70% of his minutes. But um, if you want to kind of, mix and match and kind of you just need to you need to put them in different spots someone else can put the four or the five or whatever then then yeah I think the three is okay but I wouldn't I wouldn't be over reliant on that because I do think it's probably asking a little bit too much of his perimeter perimeter defensive skills. Absolutely. And finally to just wrap up the segment, like what do you what do you think is his upside? Like is there a ceiling that you want to place on him? Like maybe a player comp for Brandon Clark? Yeah, I mean, player comps are something I just am not <laughs> not great at. But I would say in terms of feeling, I, I could see him being like a top 25, top 20 player. Um, I, I really do think he is a – he's not necessarily – I don't think he's ever a defensive player of the year candidate. But I think he's a very, very good defender who you're going to see make multiple all-defensive teams 
And I think he has a lot more offensive skill than he was given credit for pre-draft. You know, um, there was a play, I don't remember who, I, I think it might have been against one of the international teams um, that the Grizzlies played, um, where Clark kind of, he grabbed a rebound and brought up the ball on, in the fast break and threw a lob or something, I think, to Jaron. Um, and he's not a great dribbler, but he's a very, he's an above average passer for his position. It's a decent face-up game. If the shooting continues to progress, you could see him kind of working the elbows or the mid-post and hit some jumpers from there. Um, like I said, the passing is something that he's, he's flashed a lot in different different types of passing, too, I've been impressed with. Um, and then he's just an awesome pick-and-roll player. He's He's got a great, great ability to kind of catch lobs at different spots and finish at the rim, fantastic touch. And so I just think there's a lot of versatility on both ends. And um, there are some elite skills there, particularly as a as a help side rim protector and a pick and roll finisher um, that are really going to make him a, a fantastic player, both uh, overall and in, in the Grizzlies uh, kind of offense and just team in general, which continue to, which will continue to shape around Jaron and now, now jaw is kind of their franchise cornerstones. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I enjoyed getting to talk to you about Brandon Clark. And you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. And after this ad break, you will hear from Big Nate and Jackson as they talk about James Wiseman. Well, Jackson, since you've already earned the love and admiration of Memphis fans in that segment, I think we need to tear it back down to square one. Just a little <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> All right. I can handle it. Yeah, I want to go ahead and apologize for some of the more aggressive Memphis Tiger fans who came after you after <laughs> the was published. Uh, we're, we're a very vocal crowd, so uh, when somebody doesn't put their consensus number one prospect in the top 15 of their big board, it makes them a little antsy. So I apologize for that. It's all good. I, I can handle it. I understand where they come from. It's a, it's, a cool, it's a cool thing where you have a guy who played basketball for – one or two years in Memphis, and now he's going to Memphis and kind of revitalizing the program. So I, I understand and can sympathize with, with kind of the devotion to Wiseman. I certainly understand why why people are so adamant and vocal about their support of him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so this piece that you wrote about Wiseman, you did leave him out of the top fifteen on your big board. It was a very well written piece and very well defended. Um, there, I ultimately disagree with it, and there's some aspects of it I want to talk about. But the first thing I want to ask you about, and I noticed in the first paragraph of your piece, you said pretty much every informed member of draft Twitter disagrees with the sentiments about Wiseman being a top-rated prospect in the NBA draft, and you and most have him outside the top 10, I've got to ask, who do you think are informed members of draft Twitter? Um, just, I mean, I there are, are quite – there are numerous people I, I frequently talk with about prospects, and um, the majority of them are, are very low on Wiseman compared to consensus. Um, I, I would say draft Twitter are people that – the ones are just the one that's just who the population that I, I speak with on a regular basis. Um, perhaps that was disingenuous or unfair to kind of cut that line off, but it's the people that I constantly talk about the draft and tweeting their thoughts about prospects uh, ways in advance. I think there are, there are certain people who kind of get involved with the draft, um, you know, once the NBA season ends or the regular season ends. So they, that kind of that April to June period um, that I don't necessarily Deem who deem those people as the ones that are year round focusing on prospects. Um, I'm sure there are some people in draft Twitter that are that are higher on 
wiser than I am or the people that I speak with are, but I, that was just my experience of those who I frequently discuss prospects on. I haven't found anyone yet who uh, would consider Wiseman to be a top 15 um, prospect. Perhaps my scope is my scope is too limited. I'm being influenced by uh, by group think there. Yeah. Why do you think there is such a divide between some of the more specific areas of draft Twitter and some of the bigger names in NBA scouting? Like uh, Jonathan Gavoni has consistently had him at number one or number two on his draft boards. And most of the recent boards from USA Today, CBS Sports, and NBA Draft.net all had him in their top five. Why do you think there is such a divide there? Yeah, that's that's something that when I do talk with people about Wiseman, it, it is fascinating because obviously with the people who have significant influence over where these players get drafted, they deem him as a top five or consensus number one guy. Um, I, I think to an extent his I think to an extent his athletic tools are a little overrated. Um, he's obviously got a great wingspan. He's very big. He moves very well for a guy who's seven one or whatever, seven feet tall. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily think those tools translate to the game as much as, as they should. Um, obviously, he has great high school stats, but um, for me, high school stats are a little more shaky because, to, like, you tend to be playing down competition unless you're playing national circuit, like going to Oak Hill or uh, Prolific Prep or some of those other schools, Montverde. Um, and obviously, I think he was like 25, 15, 5, or whatever at Memphis East as a senior. But uh, his EYBL stats were really underwhelming. Um, and so, to me, just an inference or a guess would be one, an overrating of his physical tools, um, as well as overrating his raw statistical production against lower level competition. Um, but I could be wrong there. It's just something that I, I don't have, really have an answer to. And if I did, uh, it would make things a lot more a lot easier to understand, but um, yeah, it's a really good question and one that I, I hope to gain clarity on and I will be really interested to see kind of how Wiseman's stock ebbs or flows throughout the year at Memphis this season. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned the EYBL in 2018 and we'll get to that here in a minute. Um, but so Wiseman, uh, Memphis has had their pro day. Um, I think it was this past week where there was, I don't know how many NBA scouts that came in. And like you pointed out, Wiseman is seven foot one, has a seven, six wingspan. Um, at Memphis's pro day, he had a 40 inch, uh, 40 plus inch vertical to go along with that. So that's a pretty impressive physical trait right there. And this is a sentence that, uh, from your piece, and I'm not going to quote it out of context. I'll read the rest of the sentence and not just the one. Uh, that supports me here. But you said he aspires to be a modern big with ball handling, pull-up shooting, and floor-spacing talents, and he plays like one. Do you not think, even if like some of these areas, like his shooting and his passing may be raw, like you say, when you consider those physical attributes, which I know you've already said you think they're slightly overrated, but when you consider a guy who is as fluid athletically as he is, who's 7'1", has a 7'6 wingspan, has a 40-plus inch vertical, and he has the capability to handle the ball, to shoot, and to space the floor, even though he hasn't done that at a high level necessarily yet. Don't you think on upside alone that makes him a top 15 prospect? I just can't get there because I really think the decision-making is poor whenever I watch. I I think his shot selection is just – like really just just not where it should be. He's, I mean, like we said, he's huge. Like he doesn't need to be shooting 18 footers against guys who are six, eight. 
Um, and that just worries me kind of from a, a self, not self-awareness. Like, I don't know. I, I don't want to get on this. What I'm trying to say without like insulting Weissman as a person, because that's not what I want to do at all. I, I've, I've heard great things about him and his character, but um, I, I think it, it shows a lack of understanding about where his skill set are best suited. Um, and for me, I think I wrote it in the piece. Maybe I didn't, um, or maybe I wrote something similar. There are just too many ifs for me. Like that, that's a lot of things to improve, improve your decision-making, improve your shooting, improve your passing, improve your defensive discipline. Like for me, those are four huge areas that, that yeah, if he puts it all together, if he shows out this year from Memphis and shoots 35% from three and averages four assists to two turnovers and uh, is a lot more disciplined as a shot blocker, then by all means, I will have him as a top eight, nine, ten prospect, assuming, you know, the, the tape is something that's encouraging as well in conjunction with the stats. Um, but to answer your original question, there are just too many ifs there for me to see him making that leap to someone who's actually a, mo- a true modern big with with impactful shooting off the dribble and floor spacing and the ability to create for others from the high post or from the elbows and stuff like that. Kind of talking about shooting against smaller defenders and not taking the shots that are probably right for a guy of his skill set. I'm reminded a little bit of Austin Nichols, who played at Briarcrest High School, which is my high school in Memphis. And he was the number 11 prospect in the nation, according to 247, when he came out. And he was recruited by Duke, among other powers, and he ended up signing with Memphis. And in high school, I played with him. I was a freshman on the team when he was a senior. He would live in the paint and he would dominate down low because he was six foot eight and he could dunk on just about anybody. But when he got to Memphis, and he was a very good player, he was a good defender in high school, he was a good defender in college, he had never spent time trying to build those other areas of his skill set, shooting off the dribble or just spot up shooting in general. Do you not think that maybe it's good for Wiseman to try to work on these different aspects of his skill set now in high school when he can still dominate whenever he wants to? That's not necessarily a reflection of how he's going to be, let's say, three to four years down the road. Do you think that's just him maybe trying out or trying to improve those different areas of his game, even though he doesn't necessarily need them at the high school level? Yeah, I think that's certainly a fair point. You know, he's able to dominate these lower level competitions, so why not kind of experiment with his game? Um, but but to me, I, it's it's something that I I didn't for some reason I didn't include any EYBL tape, but it's something that I also see reflected against higher level competition in in the EYBL circuit last uh, last spring in 2018, um, where his efficiency was really poor, especially compared to other other bigs from the last few years. Um, and, and for me. Like I, I try, I don't know if I ever said in the piece, but we're so far out from, from the draft that for me, this is a very preliminary thing. I've seen a lot of Wiseman um, and a lot of the other top guys, but if he, but if he becomes a very good shooter at Memphis or uh, improves his efficiency, then by all means, I will, I won't have any issue changing my opinion and moving him up on my board. Um, so it, it's important for me to note that this is really preliminary stuff. I've seen a lot of these guys, but by no means am I going to be like, well, I didn't have Wiseman in top 15, even though he's improved in Memphis. I, I have to be stubborn about it. I'm, I have seen so much tape in high school. So I think that's certainly a valid point that he's, it's worth experimenting with his game. Um, but some of the shots he was taking um, that I saw were just really poor decisions, like a lot of off-balance fadeaways and things like that. And that's not even something that – even if someone hits a lot of them, it's just not a high-efficiency high efficiency shot. Like you don't need to t- – like, 
he's he seems like someone or whatever I've seen anecdotally is he's loves kind of the one dribble step in from the three point line and shoot along too. And that regardless if you're making that, like it's just not a shot worth taking very often. Um, and so maybe even to get more specific, it's not necessarily just shooting outside jumpers. It's kind of the way they're coming off balance or, you know, shying away from contact over smaller guys and shooting off, like just shooting fadeaways, fadeaways and stuff like that. So if he improves kind of the technique and the way they come with jumpers or the jumpers come for him, then yeah, I think it's certainly something that could be an alert from, from a prospect point of view. Um, but that's not the way I've seen it, but I certainly understand what, what you are getting out there with kind of experimenting with your game. And I think it's a very relevant and valid point. Yeah. And I agree. He'll definitely need to improve his shot selection at Memphis. And then when he moves on to the NBA, because there comes a point where you have to maximize the areas where you're good at. And he probably, he's not done that to the degree that he could have so far, but we'll see at Memphis. This is kind of the last thing I want to talk about. And you mentioned the 2018 EYBL. And in your article, you mentioned he averaged 15 points a game and he did it on only 52.7% true shooting percentage, which is obviously not very good compared to some of the other top guys that competed there during that time. However, I will say that I think it's very obvious from his performance his senior year at East that he grew a lot over the span of his final year. So in his junior year at East High School, he averaged 18 points and eight rebounds a game. Going into the summer of 2018 at EYBL, in which he put up these numbers, the following year, this, uh, the his senior year at East High School after the 2018 EYBL circuit, he averaged 25 points, 15 rebounds, five and a half blocks and 1.3 steals. And I obviously don't have his true shooting percentage from high school right in front of me. But while he was a 50% foul shooter during the EYBL circuit, which was just a 21 game time, he was an 81% foul shooter during his senior year at East. So you talked about the volume of his production being somewhat concerning during EYBL and before that. Um, When you consider this much growth, especially at just age 18, which he is now, can you not see him becoming this type of top five prospect? Do you not see him trending in that direction? Yeah, for me, that that was kind of the lower level competition I was getting. I just, when I when I watched a lot of Memphis East games, or a lot of the games I saw were from a senior Memphis East, um, I still saw some of the troubling things that, that uh, were brought up in EYBL, the, the decision making as a shooter and things like that. So, I, like I said, I if if he ends up improving his efficiency substantially um, at Memphis, uh, I, I will all be I will be all for kind of a suggestion or at least listening to the idea of him as a top ten. Top 15, let alone top 15 prospect. Um, but he, but even in the games I did watch MMCC, I just saw kind of a similar troublesome things uh, as a decision maker and defender that uh, that worry me from an NBA perspective. Um, but by, by, by no means am I, am I closed off from the idea of him uh, becoming a very, very, very statistical, productive player and improving his efficiency and decision making this year at Memphis. Um, and if he does, then by all means, I will I will move him up my board accordingly. Um, mm-hmm. But even when I did watch those games, I was just concerned kind of how that translated to to the next level and the highest level um, as a number one pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And um, 
see, this has kind of been enlightening for me because I kind of thought from reading your article that um, you were this is more of an opinion piece of where he is now and you weren't properly taking his potential and upside into account. But it seems to me um, that his upside and potential just isn't as high to you as it is to a lot of other people. Yeah, that that's kind of where I'm at currently, but obviously upside can change. Um, guys can show things that I hadn't shown previously and, and maybe that's the case with Wiseman. And I, I think, you know, we talked earlier before I think we went on air, maybe it was on air. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who have been vocal against my ranking of Wiseman interpreted it as kind of some vendetta against him, where I, I hate him as a player. And by no means is that the case. I am certainly open to him improving and making me crow when this piece looks foolish in four years when he's made three all-star teams. Um, and But for me, we were at the step back. We're trying to kind of do some of the – we're trying to do scouting reports on the main guys going to the – going into the season um and so that was one i felt was necessary to write but if he looks like a much improved player in the middle of the season then i'm sure me or one of my colleagues will write a piece uh dissecting his improved play um but yeah i'm just not quite as high on his off on his upside overall um but i do think there is certainly a path to him being an off an nba player um whether it's worthy number one pick i i just think guys with that that size and physical prowess um, don't come around very often. I did mention the piece. Like, I do think defensive discipline is something that improves with, with time. You know, even a guy like Jaron Jackson, someone who's still kind of trying to, to best balance that. Um, and so I, I think there's definitely a path to him being a, at worst solid rotation big. Um, I don't see him as much more than that right now, but there is certainly, there's certainly the possibility that he, he makes me, he changed my mind in the next five months. Um, and so if so, I will, I will make sure my rankings reflect that. Well, Jackson, thank you for your time, man. I think that's all that we have. You can find Jackson at he is the sports editor and digital editor at the Gonzaga Bulletin. He covers Gonzaga men's basketball at the athletic and he covers the Sixers at the athletic as well. And he does writing on the NBA draft at the step back. Plenty of things keeping you busy right now, man. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, I, it's been busy already, and the, neither the NBA nor the NCAA season has officially started, so it'll it'll only get busier uh, once once the, the games start next uh, next Tuesday for real. Yes, for sure. And you can find me on Twitter at Big Nate Chester, and you can find Parker and I's content for Memphis Grizzlies at grizzlybearblues.com. I believe that's all the time that we have, and that's all, folks. 